Well, good morning. Uh, if you were uh, not here at the very beginning when Gina announced me uh, who I was and who was going to be speaking, which I think was most of you, uh, uh, my name's Kent Craney. I'm one of the pastors at Friends Church Yorba Linda, and uh, I was at the men's retreat back in October. Some of you may remember that, but I uh, was invited here, I think, in large part due to the fact that we have six sons. Um, you're doing, I know, and there's, there's always an audible gasp at that. Um, and then there's just this, I know some of you are thinking this thought, I want to meet that woman um, who, who is the mother of those six, right? Uh, because they have no empathy for me whatsoever, but there's a great empathy for the mother of six sons. But uh, we have raised six sons and we now have uh, grandchildren. Our six guys are, uh, are this is my uh, picture from a few years ago. This is my favorite picture of them. It's kind of the boy band shot. Um, <laughs> If you were to meet some of them today, some have beards, some have shorter hair, and some have longer hair, um, but that's our six guys. Then at Thanksgiving, we took a shot with our daughter-in-laws and our grandbabies as well, and it's easier to get everybody to be silly than it is to actually get them to give a good smile one time for a photo. Um, with Photoshop, you can adjust that. But, and then these are our grandchildren. You see them there, but this is a... I know. Did you notice, though, there's, we had six sons, right? Do you notice who's on this bench? There are five girls on that bench. And we have one more daughter on the way, granddaughter on the way. Um, the boys are having girls. And so we have princess costumes all over our house and dress up clothes. And uh, the, the one grandson has his hands full, but he, he is up for the task, let me tell you. Um, but uh, I'm excited to be here to talk with you. You've been uh, in the middle of this parenting series talking about these phases, and this one is how do we pass on faith to the next generation? And I want to share with you this morning some thoughts about that that primarily come from multiple generations. My wife and I are, are the recipients of of the grace of God behind us. <clears throat> we have uh, parents behind us and grandparents behind that who love the Lord and have given us a foundation I recognize, as I share some of these things this morning, some of you don't have that. Some of you are first generations coming into this, and now you're raising up kids trying to figure out how do we pass on a faith that we just now embraced. Um, others of you, the, back is, uh, the background is a little bit broken. My, my uh, wife's mother's family behind her, not Christians. She had to make a decision about what was going to be different in her family going forward, and my wife is a recipient of that. Somebody back there said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and I'm grateful for that. And I want to encourage you this morning with wherever you are in the journey, I hope this has purpose and meaning for you. If you're here and you're a parent, you're currently raising kids, this will probably have the most meaning for you. But the principles that I want to share with you, they're not just parenting principles. I think they're guides for all of us and how we live our lives. And I hope that you can find something in here, no matter what stage you're at. If you're where we are and your kids are grown, you have grandkids, or whether you're just getting started, or whether you're, you're not even thinking about a husband or wife yet. Um, these are principles I think matter to us as believers. I speak this morning from the foundation of Christian faith. If that isn't your foundation, I think there's still value in what I'm going to share, but uh, you need to know my bias, <laughs> and that is that the Bible is real, that it's true, that there is a God, that that God cares about our individual lives, that he hears our prayers, that he sent his son to die for us, and that's the basis of faith that we want to pass on to our children and hope that they catch. Um, we need to recognize there's no magic formula for this, okay? This idea of passing our faith on to the next generation, it is not a science. 
It's an art form. Uh, And just about the time you've got it figured out, you have another child and realize you don't have it figured out. If you have only one child, you don't know if you figured it out or not, trust me. If you have multiple children, you know you don't have a clue. And if you have six, like we did, they are all different. They all function different, they respond different, and the stuff that I'm gonna share with you is, is not perfection. It's just over time, 37 years of marriage, and our oldest is 32, our youngest is 22, and a season in our own lives of growing up in households that we look back on and say, I think my parents did something right. My brother and I are both believers. My wife and her siblings are all believers. I think our folks did something right, and there's something to be gained from that. So that's what I wanna share with you this morning. I remember a number of years ago when Dobson was the, the guru for families and he had made the comment at one point, you know, if I was going to write a book on parenting before I had children, it'd be the 25 principles to raising godly children. And then after I started having kids, it'd be the 10 ideas for how to raise up godly children. And then once I was done, the three possibilities that might work, you know. <laughs> I, I just think the more you're in it, you know, you talk to somebody who doesn't have kids and they know how to raise children. Um, You talk to parents and they go, I I don't know, I thought I knew. Um, This is confusing stuff. So uh, I I step into that with that messiness. I also recognize some of you are here and you're a single parent. It changes your paradigm. Some of you got kids with special needs, uh, special abilities. That makes it, it changes your paradigm. Some of you are in a blended family and you've got kids part-time and that makes it harder. Some of you are happily married. Some of you are married but struggling all of those things figure into saying parenting's hard and sometimes it's even harder. But I still believe that some of the things I want to share this morning can give you some foundation, some hope, and some, some direction in that, okay? So let me pray for us and then we'll take a look at these, these uh, five principles. God, thank you for the opportunity to look at uh, you and what you have for us. And I, I pray in the name of Jesus that it would be your words heard this morning. May the words of my mouth meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, I I decided thinking about this uh, as a foundation laid is Jesus Christ and him crucified, uh, Jesus Christ and and him as the guiding principle in my life, that we raise up from that foundation pillars. And so I have five pillars for you this morning. The first pillar is integrity. C.S. Lewis said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Proverbs 27, a righteous man walks in his integrity. How blessed are his sons. Uh, Integrity is hereditary. We learn it. We observe it. Um, We may struggle with it at times, but if we caught it from our family, if it was important to them, it tends to work its way into our lives. And if not, it doesn't. So I think as parents, we need to make sure that what we are on the outside and the inside line up. Uh, For my wife, Robin, uh, she and I both have parents who we saw as Christian all the time. My dad was a minister, but I didn't see something different between his platform performance and what we got at home. It was the same. And when I talk about integrity, I think this is true for all of us, no matter what our journey, no matter what our season, we need to be people who are consistently faithful to God. It doesn't mean perfect, but I'm not different at work than I am at home, than I am with Christian people. Or I go to Sunday services and I behave one way, but then, you know, that's, that's church, but this is business. Uh, there should be a consistency in our walk. Kids pick up on that quick. If there is an integrity between what I say I believe and what I live out, they're going to pick up on that, and it, it, it ruins our testimony completely. 
both in the house and out of the house. So integrity becomes important. Michelle Anthony in her book, Spiritual Parenting, says, we need to model for our children how our lives are spiritual in every decision, erasing the divide between the sacred and the secular. They need to witness firsthand that our faith is not merely something we compartmentalize when it's convenient to do so. Faith needs to be something that's the same all the time. For God, everything is sacred. So there shouldn't be a dividing line between how I behave as a Christian in different environments. It should be the same. It's not perfect, but it's consistently what I desire to have as the priority in my life. Um, my wife and I both had the, the gift of being brought up in Christian homes, of, of families who thought church was important and Bible was important, but it wasn't just that we went on Sunday. What we observed was people in our home who showed us by their example the importance of God to them. They got up in the morning. They were in the Word. We'd catch them praying. They prayed about all circumstances, not just at mealtime, but it was part of who they were. It was part of their life, and there was, there was no... Uh, there was no um, apologizing for it. It's just what we fully believe and embrace. We believe God's real, so we talk to him. We believe his word is real, so we read it. It tells us how to, how to behave. It's not something that happened on the weekends. It was who they were in their lives, and we benefited from watching that observance and, and desiring that our kids catch us at that too, um, that they see that this is something we embrace. Whether they embrace it or not, that's going to be their decision. We can do everything right, and our kids can still choose wrong. We can do all the right things and still have, have kids who decide they don't want anything to do with that. We still have a requirement to say, okay, as for this house, as for my leadership, as for where we're going to go, we're going to walk this path. I remember talking to one of my sons recently about some of our efforts in sharing faith early on. And one of the things we tried to do to start every day spending a little bit of time in the Word and a little bit of time in prayer. And that shifted over days when they were real little in home that was easier. When they were going off to high school, it was more complicated. But we always wanted to start the day off with something that said, faith is important, don't forget that. And I was asking one of my sons, I said, do you remember the times we get up in the morning and giving a specific window of time uh, when he was in high school and we would read the scriptures and then pray together? I said, was that valuable. <laughs> and I remember him going, you know, frankly, dad, I don't remember what you, what you said much at, at all. Um, it wasn't really that important to me. I was more concerned about getting to school on time. And I, well, great, perfect. Um, but then he followed it with this, but I knew it was important to you. And that mattered. And I thought, okay, sometimes it's not the fact that I'm going to share a nugget of wisdom in the morning because I'm reading the Bible to you. Sometimes it's just the fact that you now know this is really important to me. I spend time in the Word, and I want to share those things with you because they mean something to us. And so there's an integrity with what I say, what I believe, and how I act that out in front of my kids. I think it's true for us as believers in general that that testimony needs to be true in all, in all environments, but especially as parents with our kids. So the first of the pillars is integrity. The second one is encouragement. Encouragement. To give support or confidence or hope to someone. Uh, we all know people who are encouragers. In fact, even as I say that, there may be somebody that comes to mind, somebody you like to be around, because we like being around people who think we're awesome. You know, they're just good people to have in your life, that they, they just applaud you. They're in your court. They think that, that you're great, and they want you to know it. That, that builds us up and moves us forward. We should be that for our kids. You know, as I say that, there's, there probably is somebody that comes to mind. I would venture a guess very few of us, the first person that came to mind was a parent, but it ought to be. 
And my mom would scream from the stands, put craning in whenever I was playing football, which if you're an athlete, you know that means I was on the bench. Um, but my mom believed the game would be better if I was playing, and I wanted her to tell the coach that, right? Um, we need those cheerleaders in our court, and as parents, that ought to be us for our kids, encouragers. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's just Paul talking to the church. That ought to be us. Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Only that which builds others up according to their need, not mine. If we could apply that as parents to our raising of our kids, that what comes out of my mouth is important, and hopefully it's for their betterment to build them up, not tear them down. Harvard did a study a number of years ago, and they found that in group settings, there was a five-to-one ratio. Five positive comments to one negative comment was the most effective in getting the most product productivity out of the people in the group. That whoever was leading, if they led mostly with positive commentary and added occasionally that correction that needed to come, they got the most effective use out of the group. Too much negativity and I get discouraged. Too much positive and not enough correction, then nothing changes. I don't have any direction. But there was a five to one ratio. That's complicated if you're a parent. I mean, there are some days and some children where it's like, I, I can't think of one thing positive to say right at the moment. He has fried me up to here. She is driving me nuts right now. Um, but we as parents, I think, especially in those tough seasons, have to find ways to say, I believe in you. I hope the best for you. You're a child of God. I know God has a plan for you. And I, and I hope you live long enough to get to that plan right now. Um, you know, however we want to frame it, maybe more positively than that. But that five to one struck me. We need to be encouraging one another, especially as parents when our kids are going through tough times. Uh, we used to say in youth ministry, they won't care what you know until they know that you care. I just think that's true in general. You're not gonna care what I know if I think it's gonna benefit you unless you know that I actually care about you. That it's that relationship that's built that says, I want your best and I think this will help you get there. If that's faith, they're not gonna to care too much about it if we don't care about them, their situation, their circumstances, what they're going through. We need to be invested in those things that are important to our kids. You know, my parents went to my ball games. My folks went to my, my brother's jazz band. Um, Robin's parents were involved in the activities that they were involved in, and by that showed importance. Um, Ephesians 5, uh, 15 and 16 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That word opportunity is kairos. It's a word that uh, means time, but it's, a, it's an appointed time. It's a moment in time. It's a time that if you don't capture it right here, it'll be gone. And as parents of adult children, and some of you are in this room know this is true, the older you get, the more you are uh, acutely aware of how fast time goes. Right? The days are long, but the years fly by, and all of a sudden you go, man, they were just little yesterday, and now they're adults. When did it all shift? When did it all change? And I tell young parents and other old people like me do the same thing too. You've probably heard it a hundred times. Oh, enjoy this moment. And you know, if you're a young parent, you're going, I'm having a hard time with that. I'm up all night. I'm stressed out. Oh, but it goes so fast. It does. It disappears. We have an opportunity in front of us, and sometimes they slip by because we're too busy. We need to be intentional in our parenting with those opportunities to encourage, to build, to pour into. 
Um, we tried as best we could to grab individual time with our six sons. Robin would spend time with a boy I'd spend. Every week we'd have somebody. And when they were real little, it was fairly simple. You know, Corey loved to play catch with a baseball. And so that's what we did. If we'd go out for an hour, play catch, come back home. We had some time together. Uh, Craig was more about swinging. He could swing forever. He loved adventure. Uh, Colin was the creative one. He liked to go on treasure hunts. Um, so whatever they liked to do, that's what we engaged in. As they got older, it became more intentionally a date time. Maybe we would go to dinner. If we didn't have a lot of funds at the time, it would involve anything that didn't cost money. We'd go play somewhere, go do your hobby, whatever that interest was. But we wanted to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them doing what they wanted to do. Um, Robin uh, holds in dear memory seasons when she was a teenager and her dad took her out on dates in part to say this is what it looks like to have a godly man take you on a date. Have this as a comparison point when that first guy comes along and doesn't treat you right, tell him to take you home. This is what it looks like to be loved and cared for properly. That bar was high when I came along. <laughs> I don't know how I measured, but, uh, but he had set a bar for her of what it looks like to be treated like a princess, a child of God. Um, as parents, we want to spend time with them so they know over time they're important, they're valuable. Time matters. Um, one of the simplest ways that we engaged and probably one of the most meaningful was at night. We tried as best we could for one of us to be with each child when they were going to bed at night to close the evening with them. Sometimes it was a few moments, sometimes a little bit longer, but you sit down on the bed, scratch. The, our boys loved having their back scratched. We'd scratch their back, talk to them for a few minutes, pray with them, and say goodnight. Sometimes stuff would come out in that quietness moment that hadn't come out all day. Sometimes they begin telling you stuff that was, didn't matter. Other times, pretty profound. Sometimes it was hurts. Sometimes it was stress over a test or something. But it was that time when you're actually asking a few questions and the opportunity to say, I really care about what you're going through. Let me encourage you. And then we take time and pray for those things. Let me pray over you. I know that's a big deal. I, I know you're having trouble in this relationship. Let's take a minute and pray for that and then close the time together. That was a, a very simple, uh, but it needed time. It had to be us taking the time. If one of us was away, sometimes I was traveling, we could do it over the phone. We'd do that, or the other would do it. We just tried to make sure we closed the day every time with that little bit of touch point so we'd get to know what was going on in their lives. One other thing we'd, we chose to do early on, part of this came out of being a parent who was also a pastor who did a lot of memorial services in which people who passed got a lot of accolades from the people present now that they're gone. And I remember thinking one time, I don't want our kids ever to not know what we think about them. So at birthdays, Robin and I decided, let's, let's have a birthday celebration. Everybody in the, in the room, everybody who's there will take a few minutes to say something positive about the birthday person. And when they were little, it was very simple. You know, you're funny, you're a good soccer player. But as they got older, sometimes it got more and more, more profound of what I really appreciate about you. We don't stop to do that enough. And so we just made it a birthday tradition that's been exciting to watch our grown kids decide that they want their wives to have that celebration. Let's all say something positive to them. They want that for their children now when we get together. So I know it was meaningful. Um, some days weren't all that meaningful. Sometimes you're sitting there looking across the room at one of the boys who has nothing to say whatsoever. And I'm thinking, you had a year to come up with something positive to say. <laughs> and you can't think of one thing, please tell me you can think of one thing. So it's messy. But over time, the consistency of those opportunities uh, gave us all a chance to say, we really do appreciate, love you, think the most of you, and hope the best in you. And I think that's powerful. 
The third pillar is grace. We need to give grace to our kids, and this is tough. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's actually God's grace that teaches us to say no. It's God's grace, God's grace that is the most meaningful. Most of us recognize that Christianity is so powerful because God forgives me, because he doesn't hold my slate of sins against me. He actually says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. I, I've separated that. I don't remember that thing you confessed to me yesterday. I put it away. Um, that's a kind of a grace that's hard for us to give, but it's the kind of grace we need to extend to our kids so they begin to understand there's a God who loves you and there's nothing you could ever do that will stop him from loving you. There's no place you can go, no, no decision you can make that will ever cause God to stop loving you, and that's true for me too. I will never stop loving you. I will always care for you. Um, in baseball, we used to say to the shortstop that missed a grounder, forget about it, get the next one, right? It's grace in that miss that helps him get the next one. If I harp on him and dwell on him on that one, he's probably going to miss the next three. But he's got to let it go to get the next one. And that's what we want from our kids, right? Forget about that. That's done. We need to move forward here. And so we extend grace. First Timothy 1.5, Paul says to Timothy this interesting statement. He says, the goal of our instruction is love. And it comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I think that's important for us to remember as parents. The goal is love. The goal is your best interest. The goal is I want you to be the best person God has made you to be. Sometimes we get sideways in that as parents because we just want it quiet in the house. Or we just want them to behave well. Um, we just want not to be embarrassed at the restaurant again. Um, we can get all kinds of sideway elements, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is we want them to be the child of God he created them to be. And sometimes we're the only ones that can see that clearly. And we need to keep believing in that, hoping in that, longing for that in our kids. And that grace, isn't it what he says to us in Romans chapter 8? God says, for I'm convinced, Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor the powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, saying Christ Jesus our Lord. I want my kids to know there's nothing you could ever do that would cause me to stop loving you. We may be having a tough time right now, but I want you to know I will always, always love you. I will always be in your court. I will always have your back. Um, that grace that comes from reconciliation, the grace that comes from making things right when the, when the relationship is broken is so simple, and yet it gets so complicated over time. Um, we have opportunity a lot to spend time with our grandkids, and we have Mason, who's almost four, Kaya, who is... Uh, three, and her sister, McKinley, who's five. And the three of them were together. Robin was watching them, my wife, and she had them. And she was in the kitchen. She could hear them in the other room. And uh, something happened between McKinley and Kaya. And Mason intervened to say, that's not okay. Kaya, you need to go sit on the couch until you can have a good attitude. <laughs> and so the, the three-year-old goes and sits on the couch. He goes, you need to apologize because that wasn't nice and you need to have a happy heart. 
And I'm thinking, Mason of all people knows who needs to have a happy heart because there are times when he does not have one. But he's like taking charge, right? Okay, you need to sit there until you can apologize. And then, are you ready to apologize? And she's, yes. And she comes over and says, I'm sorry, Mason. I forgive you, Kaya, but you need to say you're sorry to McKinley because that's who you wronged. I'm sorry, McKinley. Okay, let's all hug. We're all going to be okay now. Now we can go forward. But even at three, he knows this... This can't work if we don't make things right because you've hurt her and she's not going to be okay until we fix this. And I think even as children, we get that there's a breach in relationship and it needs to be mended. And it's, it's I'm sorry, it's I apologize, I accept your apology, I forgive you, we're not going to talk about this again, let's go forward. Um, that's the simplest form. It's oftentimes complicated by strong wills and attitudes. But at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? We pray that they'll get it, that this was wrong, that an apology gets forgiveness and forgiveness gets grace, and we don't bring it up again. We go forward from here. And it was just so exciting for Robin to sit in the kitchen and just listen to it get resolved <laughs> all by itself because they went, this is not okay. We need to make it right, and you need to have a happy heart and it will be shown by the smile on your face. The third one is grace. The fourth pillar is prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Robin and I pray daily, often, together and separately for our boys, for, our, for their spouses, for their wives, for our grandkids, Sometimes specifically, sometimes just general, because we haven't seen them in a while or haven't talked to them in a while. But it's always been part of our desires to be prayerful, intentionally prayerful for our kids when they were little. We, I remember praying over Robin when she was pregnant, over the child that we were going to get, praying for their future. I remember praying, and I now pray this for my grandchildren, that they will embrace faith at an early age and cling to it their whole lives. Um, they still have free will. It's not a magic prayer. But in my heart, I believe in a God who hears me and knows he wants the best for them too. And so we pray constantly, God be with them, God protect them, God bless them, God watch over them in all kinds of prayers, in all kinds of situations. As parents, we can model that by our kids seeing us pray about things and believing that there's a God who hears that prayer, even when the answer doesn't come the way we think it did or should. Um, we pass it on by the times in which we pray. We would pray at mealtimes, yes. We would pray at night with them when we went in to scratch their back and prayed about their day because we wanted them to know that whether they believed it or not, we believed that God heard our prayers and was going to be with them when we asked him to and was present with them during their days and involved in and cared about their struggles with a friend or with school, whatever the circumstances were. And so we prayed over them then. We'd pray before we took a trip together. We'd pray sometimes as we're traveling on the road and we see an accident and just say, let's take a minute. Let's pray for those people. We don't know what their circumstances are. Let's just add God, ask God to be with them in that moment. So our kids were seeing that as consistently as we could, knowing that whether they thought it was important or not, they knew we thought it was important. And I, and I trust that in that process, they're catching what we're trying to share with them and give to them in that time and in that prayer. When our sons turned 18, one of our birthday gatherings, we had a number of traditions we began establishing. And, and keep in mind, this is 37 years of marriage and 32 years with our oldest here. So some of these things we share, they've happened over a long period of time. 
Um, but one of the things we decided to do when our sons were turning 18, it came out of a book called The Raising of Modern Day Night, uh, was to have a celebration of that. And so we'd gather the men of the family, they'd write letters, they'd read the letters to our son, then we'd pray over them. And then we'd create a document um, that had a scripture on it that was a commitment of the men in the family to pray for our son in his future, whether that was going to college or work or whatever it might be. And so when we had done that for each of our six, when we finally reached the last one, our youngest turned 18, we had a gathering. We decided we needed something to commemorate that. And I remember thinking back to, and I found this photo of our kids when they were little. These are, I know, right? These are our oldest three. Uh, Colin, actually, on the right there, was here for a while, right? And some of you guys know my, our son, Colin, he and Elena. Um, that's his curly locks when he was little. Uh, but they had swords up there, so we decided when they turned 18 and all of them reached that point, we'd give them swords. Uh, but these are a little more real swords. It's amazing what you can get on Amazon. I don't know if you know that. Um, and I love Christian across the table there has got this look on it, like I can't wait to pick this sword up. And I'm thinking, please don't destroy the chandelier above you. Um, but we gave them these swords, as, and the sword wasn't the issue. The sword was to say, put this somewhere. We had a, a, a wall hanging for it. Put this somewhere and don't forget who you're connected to. Don't forget what's most important. Let this remind you of the sword of the Spirit. Let this remind you that you're a warrior in God's kingdom. Uh, don't forget what we've hopefully given you through the years here. Um, and so we, we pray that was true. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 is Paul's prayer for the church, but it was really our prayer for our boys. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Don't we pray that for our kids? Whether we say it or not, if you're a Christian, you want that for your kids. And so we printed that, and then we had everybody sign it, and we asked the men of the family, hey, pray for our son. Keep praying for him. Pray every day. And that's a huge gift to us. I have parents who pray. Robin has parents who pray. And they will often tell our kids and our grandkids, I pray for you every day by name. Um, that's invaluable to us because I know that prayer matters, and it has an influence. Um, we decided a number of years ago to uh, have coins made, and then Robin purchased bracelets we had one for each of the kids. So this is Johnny's. Johnny's up in Alaska. He's on a salmon fishing boat with our youngest son, Kalen. Uh, they were having boat trouble last night, so you could pray for the boat. Uh, I don't know how that resolved. Do you know how it resolved yet? So my wife's in the back. I'm just going, I don't know what's going on with them. I hope they're making it. Um, but anyway, the coin was designed just as a, you know, a little reminder that I need to be praying for him. I need to remember what's going on. I need to be uh, not distracted by everything too much that I can't um, in all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, take a moment to say, God, would you be with them? Would you help the boat work properly? Would you get them out on the water? Would you give them tons of fish? Um, because that's what they're up there to do. It's a reminder. Robin's bracelet, same thing. When she rubbed the hearts on the bracelet, it reminded her to pray for that, for that future daughter-in-law. Um, the second most important decision our kids will make is who they marry. And we've got three beautiful daughter-in-laws. And when they got married, I gave the coin to our son. She gave the bracelet to the daughter. We wrote a letter to them and said, we've been praying for you and for this day for a long time. Um, <laughs> I'm getting emotional thinking about it because I'm thinking you're getting emotional. Um, but it was, a, it was moving to say to them, we started praying for you long before we met you. Um, and I'm super grateful for the three ladies that are in at least three of our sons' lives so far. Uh, they're pretty amazing. 
Um, the fourth pillar is prayer. The last pillar is blessing. Um, this is probably the most profound of the things we chose to do, and it wasn't original with us. We read a book called The Family Blessing by Rolf Garborg, um, and I think it's one of the ones on display out there. I think it's out of print, but you can probably find used copies of it. But the principle is simple. It's that Scripture has blessings from God to the people, from the people to each other, and why shouldn't we be doing that for one another, and especially for our kids? I love the passage in Numbers, chapter 6, 23 to 26, Tell Aaron and his sons, God says, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say this to them. Bless, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. It's a simple blessing, but God actually told Aaron to, to say these words over the people. God bless you. Lord, keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. How powerful is that? And why couldn't I say that same blessing over my kids as the priest of my household. Why couldn't Robin pray this over her children? Because that's what God said to do. And so we decided to do that. We read this guy's book and went, we're going to do that. And we're going to close every night. Every night we're, we're able to, one of us is going to pray a prayer of blessing over our kids. So when we had that time of listening and scratching backs and maybe praying for them, it always ended with the blessing. And when they were little, they, they began very quickly to not be able to go to sleep without the blessing. And they'd come in, if we forgot or we got busy, you're going to come in and bless me? i go, yeah, I put you to bed an hour ago, but you didn't come to bless me. I can't go to sleep. Um, our son Johnny, when he was four, went to my parents' house, and he turned to Grandpa. We're going to bed, Grandpa. Are you going to come bless us? And don't worry, I'll tell you what to say, right? Because <laughs> they had it memorized. They'd heard it so many times, they knew. And so the blessing became profoundly influential. This, of all the things we've shared through the years with people, the one most coming back to us from parents who say, I'm so glad I started doing that. It's so profound. Our kids now can't go to sleep without it. Our kids repeat it. They know these scriptures by heart. We've added other blessings, and I go, good job. That's what's important. Your kids are catching the word of God, and they are hearing over and over again, God wants your best. God wants you to be his child, and he wants your success. He believes in you, and so do we. And so we pray these prayers of blessing over them when they, were, when they were going to bed at night. We did it when they got older in high school. It didn't matter how old they were. We'd call them up and have a conversation when they were away at college and maybe over the phone. I shared this story with a gentleman whose daughter was grown and out and had her own kids. He said, I wish I had done that. I said, why don't you do it now? And he went home and made a phone call. Very tearful conversation over the phone. But praying a prayer of blessing over his adult daughter. Um, it's profound, and some of you know the missing piece of that puzzle, when a parent says, I believe in you and I want the best for you, because I've talked to so many adults who didn't get that from their parents. And if you're here and you didn't, pass it on. Start it now, give it to the next generation, that our kids will know they have God's blessing and they, they know that we bless them and want the best for them and hope the best for them. Um, that's a tradition that our kids, of all the things, have embraced. Our, our kids who have kids are praying blessings over them at night, and I'm so thankful for that and so fun watching it. Um, I just want to wrap up with just a couple thoughts here, and we'll close. Um, I've shared a bunch of stuff, and it's easy when I throw out a bunch of these traditions. You know, I had somebody come up last night, said, you gave them swords, you gave them coins, you go, and we gave them rings, just to add to that list of things we did. Um, 
but it wasn't perfect. It was messy. And if you had opportunity to sit with our six sons, they could tell you just how messy it was. It's not perfect. It's just that we decided early, we're going to try to be as intentional as we possibly can with our Christian faith. And that's everywhere. But it's most importantly when it comes to our parenting of our kids. So how can we do that better? How can we be intentional with that? And we just added stuff through the years. Uh, When our kids turned 21, we decided to make a crest and give it to our sons when they turn 21. And the sword and the ring and the coin is all symbols. They're not the deal breaker. The issue is, I want you when you're out there and you think of your ring or when you see the sword on your wall or when you pull the coin out of your pocket, I want you to remember you came from a home who loved you. You you live for a God who believes in you and wants the best for you. That's what I want for them. It won't be perfect in their household any more than it was in mine. But my prayer is that they grow up to be men of God who love their families and who love their God and serve him well. And that just doesn't happen overnight. It sometimes happens in spite of us, uh, but it can be at least pointed in the right direction by us. When the arrow left us, it it was somewhat straight. (laughs) It may veer at some point, but hopefully it left home as, as straight as we could possibly send it by doing all we could to invest in that. We had a, a mantra that we would say often to them, which was, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Um, we said it when they were little, every time they went to spend the night at somebody's house or went out to school, hey, remember whose you are. When they were going out on a date, um, going to spend some time with some friends, hey, don't forget, remember whose you are. Um, we had our 22-year-old walking out of our house just a few weeks ago, hey, don't forget whose you are, remember whose you are. Um, it just became the mantra, and it's, it's on a plaque outside our door. When you walk out our door, it's on the wall facing you before you head to the cars, when you head out the driveway. It just became a way of us saying through the coins, through the rings, through the swords, through whatever it takes in a hundred different ways, don't forget you're part of a family who loves you. Don't forget you belong to a God who sent his son to die for you. Um, don't ever forget that. Don't lose sight of that. When the world is saying a whole bunch of other stuff, believe this. It's true. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, uh, Lord, most of all, for the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. And Father, because we embrace that so completely and know that that's the key to eternity, we want our kids to catch that. But we got a world that's screaming everything against that and everything opposite of that to them. Lord, would you pour out your blessing upon this gathering, the, the, the parents who are represented here, the, the children who are under their care. Father, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them, Lord. Be gracious to them. Turn your face toward them and grant them peace. We pray this blessing on all of us here, Lord, that we might, um, we might do what you called us to, that we might live a life worthy of you, pleasing you, growing in our knowledge and understanding of you, that we might serve you better. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.